Amen. Hey, David Phillips, can I get you to go turn that breaker off on this air handler? It's so loud. You're kind of, I hope you're warm enough at this point. We're not going to be here long, so it won't get too cold. All right, you should have received when you came in tonight, lesson number nine. That is the final lesson for this Faith Life uh, Conference, this Faith Life Study. And we will be covering it tonight. And then if you'll remember our schedule, uh, we have tonight, the next Wednesday night, is our packing party for Operation Christmas Child. So we'll be in here, and then we'll leave here and go over and, and pack 300 plus boxes for Operation Christmas Child. We've done that uh, for a number of years, other than last year, we, were, we couldn't because of COVID. But we'll be doing that this year. The uh, ladies' ministry have got that, and they're organizing that and got things ready for us. So that'll be on the 10th. We'll come back here on the 17th, and we'll finish up on this chapter 9 and some last thoughts about the faith life uh, conference. And then, and then the next week, we'll be out for Thanksgiving. So, and then we'll return back in December. All right? So we are in chapter 9. We have started our lesson number 9. We've started each of our times by giving me giving a testimony about faith and about faith life and, and how we live by faith and how the promises of God are true and fulfilled. And so uh, I had one, somebody who wrote me. I'd ask you one time if you would write, to me, write down for me testimonies or share with me testimonies you might have. That where you had received a promise from God, and as you received that promise from God, that God worked out that promise and how that journey happened. And so uh, one of our ladies sent me uh, her testimony about that, and I asked her if she'd be willing to come and to share with you what she shared with me about that testimony. So, Katie, if you'd come and share your testimony about what God taught you in the area of faith and promises of God. It's good to share it, and so thank you for letting me do that, Brother Mac. Uh, we listed our starter home in 2012, about six years and two babies after starting. Um, Jameson had gotten a job at Jacksonville High School, and we decided that we were going to move. And a lot of people do that all the time. They just decide they're going to move, and then they move. Well, by the time September of 2014 rolled around, the only thing that had not turned out right was our house. Jameson was experiencing success on the football and baseball field. He enjoyed teaching at Jacksonville High School. He had formed great relationships and had found favor with administrators and fellow teachers and parents. Yet, he still had a 30-minute drive to work and from work, which doesn't sound like a really big deal unless you're familiar with the life of a coach. Um, he, had to, he had to drive, but he was leaving at about 6 o'clock in the morning. During football season, he would work until 6 or 7. During baseball season, he might work until 9 or 10. And by this time, <laughs> we had a 5-year-old, a 4-year-old, and an almost 2-year-old. So frustrated would be an understatement. In September 2014, Brother Mac noticed a difference in my attitude. He actually asked if he could talk to me about it, and if you've never been called out by the pastor about your attitude, that'll bless you. 
In our conversation, he encouraged me to ask God for a promise and to get Jameson to do likewise. Nobody in my whole life had ever, ever talked to me about asking God for a promise. I thought, the whole Bible is full of promises. Like, how am I supposed to know which one of those promises is for me? God's not even listening to me. I am certain he isn't looking to give us a promise. Well, I was wrong. But to tell you the truth, I didn't believe God was going to do anything. I did the good Christian thing and said that I believed it, but I didn't. However, I decided to do what Brother Mike asked me, even though I didn't feel like it. So a week or so later, I was searching for something inspirational to put on my social media page, And I came across Ephesians 3.20, and it was a nice verse. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think, according to the power that's at work in us. And I posted it, because it was nice. It was encouraging and inspirational. And then I completely forgot all about it. A couple of nights later, Jameson came home and told me that he was listening to Adrian Rogers on the radio, and he heard a verse that made him think about our house situation. It was Ephesians 3.20. Whatever. So then we had revival. And I was probably the most in need and the least interested person in the whole church house. I was just mad at God. And isn't it nice that he can handle it? That he knows it's coming and he loves us anyway. So Jameson encouraged me to go to the final night of revival. I can't imagine why he would have been encouraging me to go to church. Can y'all? It's when people talked about what God was doing in their life and what he had done specifically through that revival. And normally I would jump at the chance to attend something like that. But this time I just wasn't interested. I said, no, thanks. I'm not going to do that. Jameson was at film study on a Sunday night. That's what coaches do on Sunday nights is study film. And I didn't want to drag three little kids to church all by myself, if I'm just being honest. So I didn't have it in me, but Jameson got out of film study in time to come to church. That never happens. So we were late, the last ones to open the door. So we're at the back of the sanctuary, and we pull open the door. And as those doors are opening, there's a woman standing at the podium at the front of the church. And she says, That's why my favorite scripture is Ephesians 3.20. Okay, well, I mean, I thought it was interesting, but I mean, really, y'all, I just felt forgotten by the Lord. This could not be God communicating with me. So the next day, my grandmother called, and and she, (laughs) she asked about our house, which was really just opening Pandora's box. I told her things were not going great. I hated how divided it made our family. The gas money we were spending that we didn't have, the time that we were losing, we would never get back. And when I was done, I finally took a breath, and she said, you know, Katie, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And I just burst into tears. I mean, that was it. The exact same message, four different times, four totally different ways of all the scripture in all the Bible. So I was convinced that our house was going to sell, like in a few days. It did not. Instead, the drive became too much. And we had to transfer Hannah Kate, who was in kindergarten, 
from Jacksonville, where her daddy was, to a new school where she was told in just the first couple of days of school, as a kindergartner, by the first kindergarten girls she met, that they had enough friends, and they didn't want to be her friend. I'm still mad about that. Our dog got cancer and died. We all five got stomach viruses to the point of what felt like near death. I got boulder-sized kidney stones twice. I had surgery. All of the children were sick for at least two solid months. Jameson got a case of pink eye that Blaine Bateman said he had never seen in an adult. Never seen anything like it in an adult. I was T-boned with the boys in the car, and my paid-for car was totaled, and Walker was terrified for weeks to come, and so was I. By April 2015, I was done. I sat on our bed one night, and I just sobbed, and I told Jameson I was done. We had been punked by God. He didn't care. The promise was fake. I gave up. I was waking up every morning afraid of what he was going to take away, not expecting him to give anything, certainly nothing exceedingly abundantly great. I was a mess. And Jameson said the following, Katie, this reminds me of a Bible story. (laughs) It was from Isaiah, and it was about Jesus, but Isaiah didn't use his name. In the story, a man was going into battle, and everyone knew he would be slaughtered. But God had promised him victory. So he set his face like flint, an immovable, unchangeable stone. And he went into battle, and he won, of course. When you wake up tomorrow, Katie, before your feet even hit the floor, you're going to thank God for what he has done. You're going to thank him for what he is doing that we can't see and what he is going to do. By this point, our house wasn't even on the market anymore. So the next month, we listed our home. And the realtor said, I'm going to sell your home. But when I do, it won't be me. It'll be God. In June, Jameson took the kids to breakfast and told them that people don't ask God specifically for things like they really should because either they don't believe they'll get it or maybe they're afraid God will end up looking bad if he doesn't do exactly what they ask. But when we are so specific that only God can get the glory if it happens, well, that's how he wants it. So that morning, Jameson prayed with the kids that God would send a buyer to our house that morning. And three hours later, he did. This is what exceedingly abundantly looks like. No major repairs to be made to the home you're selling. Free fencing on your new home from a friend who didn't even know you needed it. Furniture for your new home at almost no cost at all. A new car to replace the old one that has more room and is also paid in full. A realtor who pays to have your new house cleaned and dinner served the night you move in. A new free HVAC unit for the downstairs. Friends and family who help you every step of the way in August heat at all hours of the day and night. So much more I can't remember. Don't give up. God is real and he sees you. He loves you and he's for you. He wants to communicate with you in relationship with you, and he always keeps his promises.
Amen. Thank you, Katie, for sharing that. And that goes right along with what lesson number nine is all about. It follows up on lesson number eight. Lesson number nine is helpful suggestions on how to endure. Amen. Katie needed this lesson about if, uh, during, during the midst of all of that. But she had a chance to learn that, didn't she? How are some suggestions? What are some suggestions for us to be able to endure? Remember, we looked the last lesson about what it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. So turn there. In Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll focus on the verses that follow are just ahead of the ones that we had looked at in, in lesson number 8. In lesson number 8, he, he said, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. That was what we focused on. You have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, remember we're supposed to be doing the will of God in the midst of it, then we'll have a chance to receive what was promised. Well, prior to that verse, in verse number 36, he gives us some suggestions in God's Word about how and what we can do to help us to endure. And there are three key words that we'll want to focus on right there. It says in your lesson, the writer of Hebrews gives some important information to those who walk by faith and who have to endure. These important words are found in verses 32 through 35 of chapter 10. And there are three significant words which must, we must keep in mind. There in verse 32, you see the first of those words. The word is remember. The first word is remember. Hear what it says. But remember... The former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. So the first word is the word remember. If we will remember, it will encourage us and it will help us as we will seek to endure. Remember that endurance period is between the time that you receive that promise and whenever that promise becomes a reality. And it can be a matter of days, it can be a matter of weeks, it can be a matter of months, it can be a matter of years, it can be a lifetime. Who knows? Only the Lord knows about that. But as you are in that time of enduring... What does he say will help us? The first word is the word remember. The ability to remember God's gracious acts towards us provides us with an energy to endure. The the Christians of that day were called on specifically to remember a number of things. First thing, the former days when after being enlightened. This relates to the conversion experience of the believer. There was a time when they did not know Jesus, but through God's grace they had been enlightened. The very fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that the Holy Spirit indwells believer provides a power to endure. Right? These believers will remember the change that Jesus had made in their life. The first thing for you to remember is your salvation experience. What it was like when Jesus came into your heart and life. When the first time you were enlightened and you were opened up, 
to the things of God. And whenever the Holy Spirit came to fill your life, one of the things that would encourage you to be able to hold on is to remember that the very first encounter you have with God and your salvation experience is that He is faithful. Amen? What God promises He will do, He will do. And the most important promise He ever gives to you is that promise of salvation. Aren't you glad that it says, when it says in God's Word, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that He is faithful to that? You don't have to worry about that, amen? And whenever you came to know and have a relationship with God, you understood the grace of God, the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God. So he says, remember the faithfulness of God in the fact that whenever you got saved, whenever your eyes were open and when you had an experience with the Lord God. That's the first thing to remember. But that's not all. Look at the second thing he says, remember. The second thing he calls on them to remember is you endured a great conflict of suffering. These conflicts involve two aspects. Being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and becoming shares with those who were so treated. You, you understand that he's talking to these believers that once they became believers, it set them apart from the rest of society. It set them apart from the rest of the world that they lived in. And, and not everybody was excited about these people who were followers of Jesus or followers of the way. And, and therefore there, there came mistreatment. And it says part, part of that was that they had to endure great conflicts and sufferings. They had to endure those great conflicts and suffering when after they got saved. But that was okay for them, wasn't it? God provided them the grace, God provided them the strength whereby they could endure those conflicts and those sufferings. He says what? Here's, here's what they had to go through. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. That's one thing. That's their own personal tribulation, their own personal suffering because they were a believer but also partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. They weren't, just, they weren't just persecuted or treated poorly because they were believers. But if they had a relationship and they established a relationship with another believer and they were encouraged by that believer or sought to be a friend to that believer, they would go through suffering through that as well. And he says, you had that. You went through those sufferings. But you were faithful and God was faithful to see you through that. God was faithful to carry you through that. Not just carry you through it, but carry you through it with a good attitude. Listen to what their attitude was. It says that becoming shares with those who were so treated, here's the attitude, verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. In other words, the first thing is, is you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Who were these prisoners? These were the prisoners who were in prison because of their faith. Because they were followers of Jesus. They took and put them in prison. Now, what would be the natural thing to do? The natural thing to do is, well, I'm not going to go around them. If I go around them, um, I, they might arrest me too. If I go around them, I might identify, they might identify me as a believer, and they would arrest me as well. I'm not going to go around. Well, that isn't what they did. They showed sympathy to the prisoners. And, and the next thing, because they were believers... It said they would confiscate their land. They would just go take their land because they were believers. 
And, and what, how would you feel about that if, if they took your land? Listen to what it says about them. And they accept, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. They accepted it how? Joyfully. Now all of that, what he's describing there, he says, whenever you became a believer, you were mistreated. You're mistreated yourself and you identified with others who were mistreated. And whenever people were in prison who were believers, you still went to them and showed sympathy to them. And, and, and whenever you had something taken because you were a follower of Jesus, you didn't have a bitter spirit, but you had a joyful spirit in the midst of that. How did you do that? Because you endured. God gave you a spirit to endure. Do you remember? Do you remember? He says, those things that you went through. Do you remember what happened in your life? You need to remember those things. For if you remember what has happened in the past, and remember how God has been faithful to you in the past, then it will give you the strength to endure in the present. Now, one of the things as you begin to journey in your life of faith, and God gives you that promise, much as Katie shared with her, her testimony tonight, every one of us should have testimony, shouldn't we? We should have a testimony. of This is whenever God gave me a promise, and I believe God, and we... And it took a while for that to happen, but finally it came to pass, and God was faithful to that, and hallelujah, great and wonderful. Well, what should that do for you? That should give you an encouragement that the next time you're believing the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God, and having to endure until it happens, it encourages you, because why? The one who was faithful at that first time, he'll be faithful in the second time, Amen. If he was faithful to me in this time, he'll be faithful to me the next time. For see, you're not supposed to just be getting one promise in your life. You're supposed to have multiple promises over and over. And how do you, how do you grow? And how do you grow in that? How do you endure in the midst of that? How do you handle that? Because you remember that God was faithful to you. And you remember whenever he came through. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back and remember. One of the things I encourage you to do in, in the area of remembrance is I, I hope that you, you journal some. You, use a prayer journal. Uh, I, I think a, a prayer journal or, or a thought journal, however you would have that. But write down, write down things that you say to God and, and write down things that God says to you. Whenever you're seeking a, a promise, you've got a situation in your life and you're seeking a promise... As God would give you that promise, write down that promise. And then write down every day that you're praying about it and you're claiming it and you're thanking God for that promise that He gave to you. And keep writing down until one day you get to write down and God fulfill that promise. But that's a great day. And do you know what you do? You take that, that page out of your journal and you put it over in what you'd call a remembrance book. And what's that? That's for you to very quickly be able to look through those times when God has been faithful. And when you remember how many times He answered something, when He came through when you didn't know that He's going to come through, when He fulfilled that promise in a way you never expected that to happen, whenever you are reminded of that, just remembering causes you to endure, causes you to stand up and be able to say, Well, I can keep going because I know God's done it before. I want to remember, remember. Okay, the second word though. The second word is the word knowing. First word is the word that we just talked about in regard to remembering. Now this is the word knowing. Listen to where it's found here 
in verse number 34. It says, For you showed sympathy to prisoners who accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Knowing is that word. Knowing something is going to help you to endure. Knowing what? Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Now, here's a basic question. How do you have a better possession and an abiding one? Because you did it? No, because who did it? Because God did it. All right? Everything you have is God. And, and whenever He's promised you a better place, a better possession, and a, an abiding one, a forever one, how, how do you have it? God gave that to you. God bless it. And when you know what God has done for you, it will encourage you. Listen to what it says here. The only way a person can endure tribulation in this world is to know that there's something better in the future. Amen? Have you ever had to say that to yourself? <laughs> Lord, I know this is not all there is. Lord, I know that this is not where we're going to end up. I, I know that there's a better place for me. Amen? There's a better place. We have strength to travail when we realize that the endurance brings about a reward. We will travail. Because there's a better possession. Notice how this possession is qualified. It is a better possession. No matter how good things on this earth might be, the promise remains that what awaits the children of God is something better. The best day you have on this earth, and you may have had some good ones, is not going to be anything compared to what heaven's going to be like. Amen? Heaven's going to be far greater than that. When we get to heaven, we're going to be utterly amazed that we were so not wanting to get there. Isn't that true? I mean, we're all afraid we're going to get there. Oh no, I may die and get there. When we get there, we're going to say, man, I wish I'd have been here a lot longer time. Because why? It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beyond it. It's a better place. Do not hold tightly to the possessions of this world. You'll be glad to let loose of them once you see the better possession. When my, by faith we realize that this truth we have strength to endure. You'll be glad to let go of anything in this old world. You might think it's precious now, but you'll be glad to let go of anything in this old world whenever you get there, because why? He's going to give you a better possession. You need to know that. That'll strengthen you as you try to endure. But not only is it a better possession, it's an abiding possession. That's what it says. The things of this earth are temporal. No matter how we take care of them or seek to protect them, they are perishable. Did y'all realize that every old car was new? Did y'all know that? Did y'all realize every old house was new? Did y'all know that? And what happens in this world? It, it all perishes. Everything perishes. It's, it's temporary in this world. All right, so... That, that's what he's talking about there. They're, they're perishable. The possessions that God gives to his children is abiding. Abiding speaks of eternity. The possession God provides us as his children will last forever. When we understand the eternal gift God has provided, we will have strength to endure. The key is found in the word knowing. If you will know that you know that what you have and what God gives to you and that what you're eventually going to enjoy, it gives you strength to endure. All right? 
So two of those three words. One is that you need to remember, remember that God has been faithful in the past and to know what God has given to you and what He has before you and the fact that He has been faithful to establish that and He's going to make that. We'll look at the last one next week. But I want to give you a, a word of truth from another passage of Scripture that will help you when you're enduring, all right? It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Very quickly, turn there and we'll be finished. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46, I want you to see a story that maybe is familiar to you, but you're going to see it in a different light. And that is, what does God, what will God do for you and me as we seek to believe His promises and we seek to endure? We're going to, we're going to endure. How is God, what does God do to help us along the way? Look what it says in verse 46 of chapter 4. He came, therefore, again to Cana of Galilee, talking about Jesus, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting for him to come and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus, therefore, said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal officer said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, now listen, listen to what it says right here. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. Here's word. Now that is a word of what? That's a word of promise. You go your way, your son lives. Now notice, he had asked Jesus to come down and heal his son. But, but did Jesus go with him? No, Jesus didn't go with him. He asked Jesus, come down and heal my son. Jesus didn't go with him, but he gave him a word of promise. Go your way, your son lives. Now let me show you a very important part of this in the very next phrase. The man... Believe the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. He did what? He believed the promise of God. All right? And he did what? He started off. He was obedient. He left. He left Jesus. Now, from the time that Jesus had given him that promise, I'm sure he'd like for Jesus to stay along with him the whole way. Well, don't you think he'd have felt a whole lot better if Jesus were coming with him? along to see his son and heal his son. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus told him, your son is going to be well, your son is going to be healed, now you go. And he believed, and he starts off. So that starts that journey of enduring. That's that point between the promise given and the reality happening, right? You got that picture? And notice what happens next. Verse 51. And as he was now going down... His slaves met him, saying that his son was living. Now, he's got, a, he's got some journey to take from Galilee to Capernaum. He's having to take this journey. And he's taking that journey the whole time. He's doing what? He's believing what Jesus said to him. I, my son is healed. My son is At least he's trying to believe that. Amen? He's headed in that direction, trying to believe that. As he's along the way, God sends his servants... To encourage him. And what did he say? What did those servants say? Said that your son, says what? 
that your son is living. Now, has he seen his son? Has he held his son? Does he know from his personal experience that his son's living? All he knows is what? He knows what some of his servants said that his son was living. Listen to what he says. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him and said, Your son is living, verse 52. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said therefore to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Now listen to what it says. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. He still hasn't seen his son. But he finds out that the servant said, your son is living. He said, when did he get better? In the seventh hour. The very hour, the very hour that Jesus told him that your son is healed. Still hasn't seen him. He goes, it says, and he himself believed, listen now, and his whole household. He finally shows up to the house, doesn't he? And what does he find out when he shows up to the house? His son is alive. Now, what does that story tell you? It tells you this, that whenever you're trying to believe God, and if you'll be obedient to follow God in what He tells you to do, you'll trust Him in what His promise is. And you're on your journey, whether that journey for Him is a day, whether that journey is a week, whether it's a year, whether it's five years, if you will do and be obedient and follow God and believe what God says, God will send to you servants, His servants along the way, who will encourage you to keep believing. He'll he'll send people along the way who will encourage you, hey, keep believing, He's alive. Keep believing, it's happening. Keep believing, it's there. Your son's alive. He will send people along the way. And, And a lot of ways, that's where what Katie was experiencing I mean, how many times did the Lord bring somebody who said to her, uh, Ephesians 3.20? I heard Ephesians 3.20. Adrian Rogers was preaching it. You know, my favorite verse is 3.20. What, what was that? That was everywhere along the way, God was giving a servant to say, keep on believing. Quickly, a testimony. I told you that my dad was a, a lost man and that he didn't have a relationship with Christ, but God gave me a promise about my dad's salvation. And when God gave me that promise about my dad's salvation, I was in college, and it was a number of years before my dad ever got saved. And, uh, but all that time, I, I just kept believing my dad's going to be saved. I'd tell people my dad's going to be saved. He didn't know it yet, but he, my dad's going to be saved. But you know, whenever you're journeying along that, you, you have some rational thinking that comes along. And I remember sometimes rationally, I'd think, well, I wonder what's going to happen if Dad doesn't get saved, you know. I wonder what's going to take place. And I remember one time, I was just kind of struggling, you know, in, in, in that regard. I still believed the promise of God, but I struggled in that regard. But I went to a revival at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. I hadn't planned to go to the revival. went there. Manly Beasley was preaching. Manly Beasley was a great man of faith. He taught a lot by faith. But Manly Beasley closed out that message by telling about his experience of his dad being a lost man and that God had given him a promise about his dad's salvation and his dad being saved. And the, the very verse that he said God gave him was the verse God gave me. God gave me. It was the very, I mean, the very verses. 
And, and, and I'll never forget, I walked up to him after the service was over, and, and I said, I don't know if you preached that for anybody else, but I'm here to tell you, that ministered to my heart. Because that was, that was a servant along the way that kept saying, keep believing. <laughs> it's a coming. Keep believing. There's life out there. And God will do that for you. Whenever you're going to believe Him and walk by faith and seek to please Him, He will send some people, some of His servants along the way who will encourage you and say to you, keep on believing. It's there until you hold it in your hand. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you, Katie.